This is the Hidden Why Podcast, episode 628 with Matthew Dix. Welcome to the Hidden Why's 30-minute power segment. I am passionate about creating a lifestyle that minimizes suffering and regret. The purpose of life is not simply to survive, but to thrive, and I believe we do that by creating a life with greater freedom, fulfillment, and happiness. Each week, I'll be delivering a 30-minute conversation with a guest expert on a topic that they are knowledgeable and passionate about with the purpose to inspire and educate us all. I don't have all the answers. I'm simply trying to figure life out. And through greater awareness and understanding, I can put into practice what I learn to further my life's progression. I can't give you your life's map. I can't show you the way, but I can assist you in discovering your why. I can help you define your life's compass to guide you purposefully to act on and pursue your life's desires. And from there, watch happiness ensue. My guests are the experts. They are the people I learn from. They provide the inspiration, education, and methodology that we can all benefit from in better navigating the ultimate life. Without further ado, let the show begin. Today's featured guest is Matthew Dix. The topic is storytelling. Matthew is the internationally best-selling author of the novels Memoirs of an Imaginary Friend, Something Missing Unexpectedly, Milo, The Perfect Comeback of Caroline Jacobs, and other upcoming novels as well. He's got another three coming out next year. He's just published his first non-fiction book, which is titled Storyworthy, Engage, Teach, Persuade, and Change Your Life Through the Power of Storytelling. In this episode, we do talk about storytelling, why it's important, and how we can all develop a greater storytelling skill that will hopefully enhance and change our lives. Enjoy the show. G'day, Matt. Welcome to the Hidden Wild Podcast. How are you today? I am great. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. And uh, just uh, come back from the beach. I did. I uh, was just on the beach with my kids. I had my son on my back dunking my head under the water. He was having a great time. <laughs> As they do. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Okay. Well, look, welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast and uh, looking forward to talking about our topic today, which is storytelling. Now, you've just launched a new book. Is it just published? Yeah. Yeah. Just last week, it um, hit book stands. Yeah. <laughs> book stands, bookshelves. So, congratulations. So, your fourth book, first nonfiction. And the book is titled Storyworthy, Engage, Teach, Persuade, and Change Your Life Through the Power of Story. Now, we're pretty familiar with storytelling here at The Hidden Wild. We've had plenty of uh, past guests on the show talking about storytelling and, and why, it's, why it's important to tell you a story. But why, why is this topic important for you? What made you write the book? Well, I started performing. So I, I was taking stages for organizations like The Moth and uh, you know many others telling personal stories and then my wife and I launched our own uh, show here in Connecticut. So we produce about a show a month where I stand on stages with about six other people and we tell stories about our lives. And as I began doing that, people started to ask me to teach them uh, to do what I was able to do. And at first I sort of rejected it. I'm an elementary school teacher. So I, I told them I don't like adults. I prefer children. So I don't want to spend any more time teaching <laughs> grown-ups. <laughs> Uh, but I eventually agreed to do a one-and-done workshop. I, I'll teach one, and that'll be it. And through the process of teaching that one workshop, which lasted over like the course of six weeks, I sort of fell in love with 
um, the teaching of this process and the, the breaking down of the craft into small parts so that I could teach people how to do it so that they could be successful, whether it was on a stage or in a boardroom or even like I have a lot of people who come now for uh, storytelling for dating. You know, they can't get a second date because of what they say during their first date. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, storytelling can really work for you. So that's that's why it's become a passion of mine. Yeah, and a really important topic. Can you perhaps in your in your own words, describe to us why, you know, the need for being able to tell stories um, is important? Well, I mean, part of it is I think the world is a tragically uninteresting place. I think once you learn about how to tell a good story, you discover that most people can't. Uh, But more importantly, what I've discovered is that if I am willing to share a bit of my life, particularly if it's a bit of my life that most people don't normally share, you know, the vulnerable moments, the humiliating moments, the embarrassing moments, my heart sort of opens up to people and I'm able to connect with people in a way that I think is extraordinary. Uh, the, The strangest thing that's ever happened to me in storytelling is four times in my life, I've stepped off a stage and a woman has approached me and told me about her miscarriage. And in all four cases, I was the one and only person she had ever spoken to about it. And the first time that Hmm. happened, I thought it was crazy. I called my wife and said, you're not going to believe what just happened. And my wife, who experienced a miscarriage as well, she said, it makes total sense. You stood on stage, you were vulnerable, you shared something that most people don't usually share, you made yourself available. And then she said, also importantly, they don't have to see you tomorrow. They can sort of unburden themselves a little bit and then move on with their lives. And I think that sort of says everything about why we need to start telling our stories because it it lets people know they're not alone. It it reaches out to people and brings us all a little closer together, which I think we really need nowadays, especially. Yeah. Do you think it's a bit of a lost art? Uh, I do. I think that, I think the age of television sort of wiped it out for a little while. I think that people got accustomed to staring at two dimensional screens and um, assuming that passive role, you know, when you hear a story, you instantly sort of start thinking about your life. I I like to think that like the file cabinet gets yanked open and you start looking for a story that somehow relates to the story you just heard. Hmm. And then you begin sharing back and forth. But if you're watching television or, you know, even a movie, it's not promoting any kind of give and take. You're really just a receptor. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think there was a time when, uh, when it was much less important than it is today or recognized that way. Yeah, so we've just lost, oh, not the connection with it, but perhaps just uh, the practice of you know putting ourselves in the situation where storytelling is appropriate. Yeah, and we don't listen as carefully as we used to. You know, people often ask me where I find all my stories. You know, I've I've told more than a hundred different stories on stages in the past six years, and so many of them come because I hear someone tell a story, and it makes me think of something that happened in my life. Sometimes that I something I'd completely forgotten about. And suddenly I have a new story. So I spend a lot of time just really listening carefully to people. And I think that's an art that we've lost as well. Yeah, okay. Do you believe it's going to turn around a little bit? Like I've sort of got a a feeling that perhaps that might, like it is becoming more noticeable now. Like you you touched on the word before, which was connection. You know, we we seem to be moving away from that human to human connection uh, greatly. And, And I know storytelling is is one of the, the the ways we can get that connection back. Yeah, I do think it's coming back. I can just tell in 
the types of people who I work with nowadays. I have um, politicians and um, hospital administrators and uh, clergy members and teachers and professors and corporations who are all coming to me asking me to help them learn how to tell stories better so that they can reach their constituents, whoever those people may be. And I get calls constantly um, from those people looking for that help. So I think that you know that signals to me that when a big corporation understands that we don't tell our story well, that's that signals to me that people are starting to understand the value of storytelling. Yeah, yeah, fundamental. I think for for a meaningful life and for a healthy life too. Perhaps your title, um, you know, we it says teach, engage, and persuade, or engage, teach, and persuade. I should say. Um, so obviously, engaging, you know, engaging other people. That's the really the art of connection. Um, talk to us a little bit about teaching and persuading. What what do those two have to do with storytelling? Kevin Smith, the uh, comedian, the filmmaker, he wrote a book uh, years ago, his autobiography. And in it, he said that whenever someone stands in front of an audience, regardless of their purpose, no matter how benign that purpose may be, you also have an obligation to be entertaining no matter what. And I loved that. Hmm. And I just think it's so important. And when I think back on the teachers that I've had, or when I think back on the politicians who I listen to, the ones that I find the most compelling, the most interesting, the ones I want to hear from are always the ones who are sharing a bit of themselves and opening up their hearts and reaching out and making a connection. And I just think so often I find myself in professional development or in a in a classroom and the person presenting or the teacher or the whoever it is, they make no attempt whatsoever to sort of capture my attention. There's just an assumption that if I'm sitting in the seat, you have my attention. And mm. being an elementary school teacher and teaching 10 year olds, I learned a long time ago <laughs> that you, they have no interest in what you have to say unless you give them a reason. And so that is the, the power of that story that, that ability to stand in front of people and share a little bit of yourself and then the content that you want to share or the idea that you want them to believe in. So I think it's critical and I think it's missed so often in today's world. So bringing that, that bit of entertainment to your story is important so they can absorb it and engage with it and so you can teach it. Yeah. You, you just, you have to be a compelling figure. You have to be an a person who people want to pay attention to, particularly today. I, I mean, I can turn on the television and watch, you know, mm. hundreds of different people presenting information to me, or I can go to the library and hear someone talk about their latest book. But unless they give me a reason to really like them and be interested in them, I, I'm not going to listen. Yeah. You know, a great example for me is I don't care about cooking at all. I don't care really about any kind of quality food. I eat most of my meals standing up and moving. And yet when I'm on, when I'm at the gym and I'm flipping around the channels on the treadmill to watch something, I always stop on this show by this guy, Bobby Flay, this Beat Bobby Flay show. I don't care anything about food or cooking. The Food Network doesn't interest me. But I find that human being, Bobby Flay, very compelling. And I find that what he says is very vulnerable and very true. And I find myself watching a show about a topic I don't care about because this man is interesting enough to hold my attention. And I think that's right. what we have to do as teachers. No matter what we're teaching, we have to get people to want to listen to us. So is that, 
I mean, do you become interesting enough through the, the stories that you tell? Is that the problem? Like people that don't tell engaging stories tend to be non-entertaining and non-engaging? Yeah, or oftentimes they just don't tell stories about themselves. They often think that their topic is interesting enough. So if you're an astronomer, you're fascinated about with the stars and the planets, and you just assume that everyone in front of you is also fascinated about the stars and the planets. When really, if you would tell me why you were fascinated, maybe give me the, the story about the eight-year-old boy who looked up into the sky for the first time through a telescope and mm. saw the craters on the moon – then I'm then I'm going to be more interested in what you have to share. So it's not topics that um, capture our interest. It's individuals. It's people standing in front of us. And if you can share a little piece of yourself, if you can be humorous or self-deprecating or honest or vulnerable, those are the things that are going to cause people to sit up and continue to pay attention. And you do that through a story. Okay, great. So we've touched on a little bit of the why, why it's important to tell stories. Is this something that you believe everyone could become a little bit better at? And is it is it possible for everyone to be an engaging, persuading storyteller? Yes, I absolutely believe that. I mean, part of being an elementary school teacher is you automatically believe in the capacity of all people. Uh, but what I think I've done is I've taken the process of storytelling, which is finding stories, crafting them, and then telling them, and I've broken it down truly into tiny parts, tiny repeatable strategies that anyone can use. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to become great storytellers on the fly. There are some people that can just put together a story without any preparation, and it's going to come out pretty good. I can't guarantee that. But what I can guarantee is if they're willing to learn my strategies and practice them, they can prepare stories. They can like you know set an anecdote in their head or set a longer story in their head so that when they go to Thanksgiving dinner or when they are standing in front of a, a board meeting you know, or, or standing in front of a town council, they're going to be able to tell a very effective story. I have yet to meet a person who I can't teach to tell a very effective, engaging, entertaining story. Excellent. That's good news. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had some really terrible people come to me or really terrible storytellers come to me who really – you know, I had moments of doubt, and they all—they've all turned out to be excellent, truly. All right. So everyone, everyone can benefit from telling a story. There is no—you know—you need to be a leader um, with that opportunity to tell stories. I mean, we can tell stories uh, in our daily lives to our friends and peers. Yeah. Yes. I mean, if you're a parent, you want to be telling stories to your kids. If you're a grandparent, you want to be telling them to your grandchildren. I mean, even when I come home at night, you know, I have a wife, and she says, "How was your day?" If I'm able to tell her how my day was in an enter, in, you know, entertaining, interesting way, she's going to enjoy her time with me better than if I am someone who is not able to convey information mm. you know, in an effective way. So I think just being in the presence of other human beings, if you're, if you're in the presence of other human beings, being a better storyteller will make you a more liked, more appreciated, uh, better companion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we can bring it into our, our daily lives. Absolutely. Um, so how do we, how do we begin? I mean, obviously you've got a great book here that we can all pick up a copy and I will stick a link in the show notes. So um, guys, check it out and pick up a copy. But what are some of the, the key steps to developing our, our storytelling, uh, skill? Well, the mistake that people make most often about storytelling is they think that a story is a series of events that took place in their life. 
And so the classic example is someone who sits down and says, I just went on vacation. Let me tell you about my vacation. You know, it turns out no one's ever wanted to hear the next sentence of that story. Because <laughs> that really is just, what they're really saying is I'd like to review the itinerary of my vacation at your expense so I can sort of relive it. And if there was really good food along the way, I'm going to talk about that too, even though you'll never taste it. And so that's not really a story. That's just stuff that happened to you. Uh, when we're talking about a story, I say that a story has to be a moment of either realization or transformation. You either discovered something new about yourself or the world or someone you know, a realization, or you transformed in some way. You changed in some deep and fundamental way. It might be a very, very small way, hmm. but somehow I was this person and now I'm this person. It doesn't have to be positive either. It can be, I used to be a, a decent human being and now it turns out I'm not so good after all. <laughs> but it has to be that. It has to be a, a beginning and an end that are sort of the opposite of each other. I mm. used to think this, now I think that. I used to be this, now I am that. And if you can find that, which I don't think is very difficult, those are the stories that people want to hear. And not sort of the litany of what happened during your day or what happened on your vacation or, you know, your your adventures one night with your buddies. None of these are stories that people are going to be terribly interested in, unless it has one of those moments we're looking for. Okay, so it's more of a moment or a series of events, and you try and find a, a moment that leads to some form of realization or transformation. Exactly. I call it a five-second moment because I really believe that all stories essentially are about a moment in your life that takes five seconds or less to happen. And I think that's about as long as it takes for you to either suddenly find a change or suddenly realize something new about yourself or the world. Um, can you think of a story like that's happened in the last 24 hours to you that would, would just be a good example of that? Yeah, actually, something just happened this morning. Uh, my daughter is nine, and she's, um, she's really tall for nine, actually. And she came downstairs in the morning, and I'm up always before her, and the sun was sort of coming up in the backyard. It was, it was lovely. And she said, Daddy, can you pick me up? She said, pick me up and hold me, because I had just been holding my son, who was only five, so he's much smaller. And I sort of grudgingly picked her up. She's really big and awkward, and she's you know heavy, and I've got a, a, like a twisted ankle that's killing me right now. So I pick her up, and I'm holding her, and my ankle's starting to get sore, and she's just, she's just heavy. She's nine years old. So I go to put her down, and she tucks her head into my shoulder, and she says, it's just so nice to be held like this, Daddy. And it occurred to me that I'm the last person, I'm the only person and now the last person who will ever hold her like a little girl ever again. She's too big for my wife to hold now. The grandparents can't pick her up. Really, the only human being who is <laughs> capable of picking her up right now is me. Mm. And the next time she's held, it's going to probably be by like, you know, if she ends up with a husband who's like picking her up and walking through the threshold, I'm the last human being who will ever hold her like a little girl. And so I decided in that moment, I'm going to hold her as long as she wants to be held, as much as it hurts, until she asks to be put down. And so that little moment of realization for me, I'm the last human who gets to hold her as a little girl. I know I can craft that into a story that will absolutely make mothers weep and will make many fathers weep as well. And it was a, it was a meaningful moment for me. It was, a, it was something I'm not going to forget. Yeah, it's quite a moment of clarity. And, and certainly uh, as having two daughters myself, I can relate. Um, those, those hugs sometimes, you know, they're, they're so precious and, and often 
we seem too busy in our daily lives where we sort of don't don't hold on to it for long enough. Right. I, I capture them. I actually have a process that I talk about in the book called Homework for Life, where hmm. I recognize these moments and in looking for them, uh, you know, in a very strategic and ritualistic way, I've found that our lives are full of these moments that truly we have, we have them all the time. And they're very story worthy moments. They're the things people want to hear. And you're right. So often we either don't see them or when we do see them, we don't have a way to capture them. And so then they're lost. If I wasn't doing sort of these strategies, my homework for life, that moment would linger with me for about a week. And then it would probably be gone to me. I would move on to something else and completely forget about it. Hmm. So, so that's, I think everyone has stories. I just don't think we see them. And when we do see them, we're not capturing them properly. Is that something that's come to you just, you know, from being a writer, obviously write a lot of fiction as well. I mean, is that part of your practice is to look out there in the reality for these, these moments, um, that can help you, you know, write your stories? Does it help you with your creative process? No, it was a. It actually came out of desperation. Okay. I had um, been, I had been telling stories for about three years, and I had a list of all the stories I could tell, and the list was getting a little short. I was realizing I'm eventually going to run out of stories, and I wanted to stay on stages telling stories, and so I just I gave myself this homework assignment. I said every night before I go to bed, I'm going to ask myself what the most story worthy moment of my day is, even if that moment is not worth telling. If even if it's not actually story worthy. I'm going to find the moment from the day that made that day different than any other day. And I'm going to write it. And then I write it down. I don't write the whole thing down because that's unreasonable that you become a journaler in that case. And those are very precious people that are few and far between. Uh, But I just use Excel. I I have an Excel spreadsheet. The first column is the date and the next column is the moment. Hmm. And so just in a sentence or two or three, I write down that moment. So today I've already written it in my Excel spreadsheet. It was Clara shoves, you know, head into my neck, says, Daddy, it's so nice to be held that way. I'm the last one to hold her like a little girl. That's all it is going to say. It'll get me right back to that moment. It'll allow me to never lose that moment. And when it comes time to craft that story, I'll always have it with me. Hmm. And I, I started doing that, again, out of desperation, just to find a story. And my hope was to find maybe one story a month that I wasn't seeing But through the process of asking myself every day, what's my most story-worthy moment of the day, I've developed this lens for storytelling that other people have as well who have done this thing and reported back to me, where they you suddenly just open up your eyes and see the world in a new way, and you discover that these moments happen to us all the time, and we just don't see them because we're not paying attention. Not paying attention. So that's, that's, yeah, obviously a great practice um, that anyone can take on board. So that's just something you started doing in the afternoons or in the evenings, writing down, you know, one moment throughout the day that you think would be a good story. And then through practice, it just became more of a habit to see these moments. Exactly. And, and oftentimes there's more than one moment in a day now. Yeah. And the other thing that will happen is when you start seeing these moments, you'll sort of crack open and memories from your past what you've lost will suddenly reappear because connections will suddenly be made. And so I'm constantly being reminded of things from my youth that I had forgotten about uh, by opening up my eyes and looking for these stories. So my list right now is of untold stories that I can tell someday. I think it stands at 513 items right now, which my storytelling friends think is crazy. But I think they're crazy for not doing my strategy because they would have the same list if they if they actually engaged in it to the degree that I did. Yeah, okay, I love it. Do you do you meditate yourself? 
I do actually. I meditate every morning. It's the first thing I do after sort of getting dressed and brushing my teeth. I sit on the couch and um, I meditate until a cat jumps into my lap and disturbs me. <laughs> so um, it was a practice I started just a couple years ago on the advice of a friend. He does it every morning and it sort of settles his mind. And so I started doing it. And it's been lovely. Yeah, I think I mean, it, the reason why I bring it up, I, I like the idea of that practice, you know, the, your homework for life, putting your attention there, um, it brings it to top of mind. So you're going to be looking out for it. It's like when you see, you know, that particular type of car that you've just become interested in and suddenly you see them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, your, your attention's there. So the same as, you know, when you, you're looking for that moment day to day and it becomes that, that habit. Um, but I've also found meditation for me has allowed me to see more of those moments and it's by far not perfect, but um, certainly has, has helped me a long way. So I just assumed that would do, be something that perhaps has helped you as well. Yeah. You know, I love that car analogy. I'm going to use that because I think you're absolutely correct. I think until you're engaged in the process of looking for these things, you don't see them. But once you've started practicing, you just can't believe that you didn't see them. In the same way, you can't believe there were so many Toyota Corollas on the road until you got one yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It's very true. Very true. It's fascinating. I remember when my wife was pregnant and um, I was just fascinated by her beauty being pregnant. And I started look, looking around in the streets and I was, there's pregnant women everywhere. I'm just like, what the hell's going on? Why is everyone <laughs> pregnant all at the same time? Um, that's it was just, great. It, it was just you're that so case. correct. Yeah. Hmm. Um, interesting stuff. Okay. So look, that's, that's a great, um, you know, quick snapshot of storytelling. I'm glad we could um, get you on the show. I'm going to encourage uh, the audience out there to pick up a copy of your book. What is um, maybe one or two final points that you would um, like to, to mention about storytelling uh, potentially that we've missed in our conversation so far? Well, I always tell people that one of the best ways to become a better storyteller is to listen to stories. And, you know, you can go online to um, – you know, podcasts like The Moth or um, just onto YouTube and listen to stories through The Moth there and many other storytelling organizations. It's easy to find. And so listening to stories, not only is it going to help you find stories in your life, but I just think that people who listen effectively become better human beings, frankly. I just think you become a more empathetic, understanding person who's more likely to reach out and try to help someone rather than hurt someone. So I think just listening and being present uh, while someone is speaking is a real skill that you can have and that you can develop. And the other thing that I think people mistake about storytelling is when, when we talk about telling a story, oftentimes they think that it's a big production, that it's going to be a, a six-minute performance on stage or a 10-minute thing they're going to do. You know, sometimes a story is a beautiful 30-second anecdote that really captures everyone's attention and is a great answer to a question. You know, my wife always says, if you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you a story. And when you can get to that point where you can tell a story for just about any question that's asked, that's a great thing. So yeah. I like to let people know storytelling isn't as big a deal as people think it is sometimes. It can just be learning to craft 30-second anecdotes that are entertaining and can fill the spaces of people's lives or fill the answers that people want. So, so don't approach it as like a performance, but just as, um, an effective way of conversing, of carrying forth information in a way that's entertaining and engaging. Yeah. And I suppose that's um, something I can sort of relate to, you know, sometimes I feel like the story needs to be somehow, you know, higher level engaging and, and, and with, you know, this marvelous sort of outcome. Um, 
but perhaps isn't isn't necessarily the case. And I think that maybe puts me off sometimes, you know, sharing my stories because I feel like, oh, it's just not that story worthy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I think it is. Um I think I think you're right that many people think that way. When I work with like nonprofits, one of the skills I teach them is to tell the story in sort of the, the story of their organization in the ten minute version the three-minute version, and the 30-second version, depending on whether you're in an elevator suddenly with someone who you know has money or you're standing in front of an audience you know, where you have more time. So being able to even take your big six-minute story or your eight-minute story and condensing it into a one-minute version if you're in a taxi cab and you want to tell that story or wherever you are, you want to be able to sort of be flexible in that storytelling as well. So you know, building up those chops is good. And part of it is just recognizing moments that it's not going to be a great story that's going to carry a whole dinner conversation, but it's a good little, you know, it's a good little ditty that you want to get in occasionally. So be looking for those two. Those are just as valuable. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you go to listen to uh, good stories? Well, I, I listen to people all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I get people, I ask lots of good questions, lots of open-ended questions, okay. and then they tell me stories and I stick them on my stage uh, but I listen to the Moths podcast, and um, I listen to Risk, which is another podcast that I really adore. I try to go to as many storytelling shows as I can uh, in New York and Boston. So, uh, But I don't think you have to do any of those things. I think if you just start asking the people around you open-ended questions about their lives, you can hear stories that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, some great advice shared there today. I certainly think uh, you know, listening to some of the great speakers that I appreciate – um, stand up and and on stage. Um, one thing I noticed that they do incredibly well is just continually. I don't know how, um, but they continually tell story after story, um, and it just yes. keeps. And and in each of those stories, there's just profound lessons. Um, so yeah, look, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thanks for reaching out. How can um, people best reach out to you, Matt? Uh, if they go to my website, matthewdix.com, they can find me there, and um, matthewdix at gmail.com if they want to email me. Um, Matthew Dix is my Twitter handle. If you look at for Matthew Dix anywhere in the world, you'll find me. Yeah, cool, cool. Fantastic, mate. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Check it all out, the show notes at thehiddenwire.com. I'll stick the uh, book link in there as well so you can pick up a copy and any other links and, and points of discussion that we chatted about today. So check it out, thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thank you for tuning in and listening to today's conversation. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been able to take something away, something to help you create a more meaningful life, a life with greater freedom, fulfillment, and happiness. Guys, if you love the content that I produce here at The Hidden Why, there are a few ways you can support me. Firstly, connect with me. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can connect with me online at thehiddenwhy.com or via social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. I would love to hear from you guys. I would love to connect with you. If you've got any thoughts, comments, feedback, suggestions, or anything at all that you'd like to ask me, you can reach me at thehiddenwhyguy at gmail.com. While you're there, guys, make sure you subscribe to thehiddenwide.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can be kept up to date with all the new episodes and happenings here at The Hidden Wire. If you love what you heard in this episode, guys, or any of the others, please share the love. Share it with your family, friends, and anyone you think that might get some value. If you haven't already done so, you can also leave me a review on iTunes. Simply head over to iTunes, type in The Hidden Wire, click the ratings and reviews button, and leave me a short message plus a one to five star rating. It helps me reach more people. Once again, guys, I appreciate the time you've taken out of your day to support my show. Until next time, you know what to do. 
breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose, and in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is the Hidden Why Podcast. My name is Liam Arnoldsey. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.